Dog Safety Podcast with Vance and Bart. I don't know if you saw this, but Francis Ngannou was stripped of his heavyweight title in the UFC. Hmm. Was he wearing anything else? I think a loincloth. <laughs> is he cool with that, you think? No. No, he is not. <laughs> We kind of know he's had beef with uh, the UFC over uh, the fighter pay and all that. It's no, it's not been a he- hidden, um, an unsaid thing. It's definitely been out in the open. Uh, I think the UFC had to make a calculated uh, decision, and it's what they deemed the best business decision they could make at the time. Do I agree with it? I, I really, as much as I want to say, like I I could see why somebody would say yes. And why somebody would say no, but I think there's probably a lot of things behind the scenes. I'm probably both ends of this argument that we can't know. Well, I think there are, there are three things at play. There's whether they do business like that. There's whether they should be allowed to do business like that. And then there's whether it makes good sense for them to do business like that. So regardless of whatever side you're on on the latter two, the first one I think is is pretty clear because Francis did have a comment about this and he said and I quote I asked for sponsorship I asked for health insurance I asked for a fighter advocate somebody in the board meeting that would advocate for the fighters they said no they said they don't do business like that so he's even acknowledging that they don't do business like that he's he's not saying that there weren't offers made. No, I mean, he had a pretty good, a pretty big hand to play, uh, being that he was, he was a champ and, and he was going to bring a draw of a significant portion of money to the UFC by continuing to fight. So he had a, a pretty damn good hand, uh, to fight for the things that he wanted. Um, and I, I think that the UFC probably didn't take that lightly. They probably factored that into their decision very much so, but they made the decision they made, whether it's the right decision, whether it's going to backfire on the UFC, only time can tell, but I don't think that in this case, there was like corporate guys in their corporate leather couches smoking their corporate pipes. The cartoon boardroom? Yeah, talking about um, 
how they're going to screw over fighters and whatnot. I think it was just they weighed all their the the weighed all their options and made a calculated decision, and it may pay off, it may not. Well, very similar to what you and I were talking about in the pre-show about things of a binary nature, whether it be a zero or a one, I think you can think that it's good for someone to have negotiating power and be sticking it to the man while also recognizing that a union is probably not the best way to do that. Because I think, I think everyone makes it one way or the other. I think everyone makes it that if you are anti-union, that means that you're a, in this particular case, like a UFC bootlicker. Oh, right. Yeah. You're, you're a corporate shill, but we all know that I say we all know, but I think most of us know that today that that whole union, uh, good guy, corporation, bad guy is a joke. It's a, it's all they're all in bed with the government. It's all out. To, it's just the the guy. It's just the regular guys that are getting bled dry. They're all just getting their piece. The UFC. There's what been talk about fighter unions and stuff like that. But that's just somebody coming in to take a piece of what's being divvied out. You know, uh, the unions will. They get paid, whether you know the the dues that are paid by the fighters or, or whoever in the union. And I'm sure they get some sort of kickback from management to not push certain things, you know? <laughs> and then of course politics plays in because government officials need the backing of the union. So they create laws that help it or whatever, but none of this is helping the fighters UFC on in its in its own is is creating a valued workforce that uh, I mean apparently these people seriously want to be in the UFC most of them and and it seems to be worth it they've trained their ass off forever to get these opportunities so they they've valued it as a good career path. Well, it's not unlike the music world where if a major label puts a million dollars behind your first single, it is going to get you to a level of popularity where you could probably earn a living on your own and could probably make a lot more money doing things independently. But that's because you have the draw and have the fans that you likely wouldn't have if it weren't for them. And I think that's where the problem with that binary comes in is that that position sounds like you're sympathetic to like major labels. Things can be exploiting other people while still being something you can explain as the reason for someone else's position. Yeah, agreed. I, I mean, the only thing I see when, when I see one of these big corporations that's obviously uh, 
you know, government has put regulations in to make it number one, you know, the keep out competition, say like the auto manufacturers and then you see the unions and it's just, unions are there too and it's just too different. The corporation's bad. It's not operating on a free market and the union's bad too. And the only people who are suffering are the people who buy the cars and who work there. There are people that that are in the union that work there that love the union. My grandfather was one of those. Talking about all the things he gets and this, that, and how much he doesn't work. But what he fails to see is like, he gets all these things because he's been there longer. But there's, there's somebody who works harder and better than him and more productive than him. Bringing more value to the company than him. And they get paid less because they haven't been there as long. Because of what? A union with uh, seniority based on time? Time served? Well, there are, there are a couple things there. Mm-hmm. One is that collective bargaining in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Like if multiple people who are providing a service decide that they want to corner the market temporarily until someone comes and pushes them out, mm-hmm. then they have every right to do that. And that will help them in the short term to artificially increase prices but collective bargaining works both ways let's look at how most unions especially in the states operate Mm -hmm. in that they tend to actually bargain with the body that they're supposed to be protecting against quite often the state the corporation or some combination of the two Mm mm-hmm And they bargain with them to say, I will make sure that we give these folks a token of a raise and ensure that they won't strike. And Mm -hmm. I will ensure that they all vote for this person or that person so we can make that money back here or there. Mm -hmm. I think people think that collective bargaining only works in one direction, but you can bargain collectively with your coworkers, but the unions will bargain collectively with your employer. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of how um, it's it's not unlike the way that someone who's fairly immature in their career journey might look at HR. You start your career thinking that HR is who you go to with your problems. Like they're your advocate, they're oh, yeah. your person to maybe they're your therapist. Yeah. But then as you mature in either your career or, or in business and better understand their position, they are 100% there for the company. Mm-hmm. Compliance, just make sure the company doesn't get in trouble. And I think as as people progress in their journey they they see that i just wonder 
how long it takes folks to see the same thing with unions. Because like I said before, collective bargaining is, is one thing, but yeah. it's a totally I, different thing to hand that power over to some centralized firm right. that does not contain any of your peers. I mean, you want to talk about collective bargaining in the good sense. We should go back to like before there was health insurance, right? And the the doctors would like a neighborhood, what we consider a neighborhood today, would would find a doctor. Like everybody would just kind of in the on the the block would get together and be like, "Hey, we need to get a doctor." If we get one together, we can get a deal because he'll be getting the whole block, you know? So they would have a doctor for the block that they had, that the doctors had bid on the, for, so the price would come down and the neighborhood would get a, a doctor that would come by and actually see him and whatnot actually worked for them and the doctor would get insured a bunch of business you know and they would all the people would be in one little area so he didn't like have to drive all over the place so it helped him too that's collective bargaining without a union well and and forgive me for likening that to the very conservative traditional take of remember when sort of the good old days because mm -hmm. it's a, a bit backward looking and I can I could see the objections now oh. but I would say even looking forward there are ways that we're naturally finding folks doing that now if you think about like fractional ownership think about crowdfunding you think about all these people who are getting together mm -hmm. to establish both the initial desire and likelihood of something coming to market, but also stabilizing on, on what the pricing of that should be and voting with your dollars really before something even exists. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think it's limited to the good old days. I think it can happen again. I think we can get to that state. I don't think it's something that we have to roll back. I think we can roll toward a state where that exists now, I think. So, yes, I agree. Uh, we don't have to roll back. But, again, healthcare is going to move back in that direction because the healthcare system we have today is not sustainable. So... The future is what I was just lovingly called the calling the past. So, suck that, progressive. I'm I'm futurative. You're so Sorry. conservative that you're progressive. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone full loop. Point being, the point that we're trying to get to is what the unions are. Are, are okay in the sense of collective bargaining, the, the theory of them? Is that is that what we're getting at? Well, 
I think I don't know how much that's true because there are so many things that we do where you're like we call it what how many people say that communism is works on paper that statement doesn't even make sense either <laughs> that statement doesn't make sense on paper because what do you mean by it makes sense on paper you can write anything if you write spell it correctly it makes sense I think you know the spirit of what that's saying, but it's <laughs> it's the idea that humans are infallible is when communism works. Does communism work as a, as a way of structuring human society? Uh, no. I mean, it, if you take out humanity, it does. But that's kind of the point, right? You know, I'll actually be a bit more generous to communism. I don't think it even has to be that humanity is infallible. I think it would just mean that humans are consistently flawed. Yes, they have to be drones. (laughs) I mean, communism is an ant farm. It's how ants structure their, you know, their societies bees or whatever you're born into a job you do that job and you die it's for the betterment of the whole the whole being the hive now on its face Mm -hmm. is that bad it it isn't bad if you're a bee that's what you want to do but as a human, humans are individuals and they want individual things. So, no, you're just talking about uh, a ruling class telling everybody else what they have to do for the so-called betterment of the organism. But the pe- humans, again, since I, like I was saying... They want individual things. They aren't a queen bee. Because a queen bee doesn't desire anything. It just drones on doing its job. Until it can't and then the bees kill her. You know? So the people in power... They bring in her replacement, which she often doesn't even know about. Right. So, a human can't be a queen bee either, or a worker bee, because their sense of self. In that way, the the bee is far more noble than a human, because a, a queen bee is truly doing her part for the colony. Uh, yeah. Like, the power never goes to her head. Like, she never... Right. But you, don't, you don't see queen bees getting so drunk with power that they destroy their colony. No, you don't. Um, I mean, is it better, or are they more noble? I mean, if you were to subjugate... Uh, a group of humans 
to like a worker bee type lifestyle and you had the best intentions, I, I would still say even if it was working and the, the colony was, you know, not dying, those people who were forced to live the bee worker bee lifestyle would be miserable. So while the colony was still thriving, they would, I'm giving them the best, you know, outtake is say, let's say the colony is still thriving, but if you're forced to do a job, we all know that most of us, if we're told this is the job you're going to do, and that's what you're going to do until the day you die, and we didn't get a choice in it, we're miserable. So, while it is good for the bee colony, I still think thriving and being a, a good idea or a a positive thing is are, are two different things. While they may go together most of the time, when you're thriving, you're typically under a more free type situation. Um, they're not necessarily they don't necessarily have to go together. Going back to the if we if we add humanity back in, because bees, kind of like what you were saying before, are closer to computers than they are people. So if we add the humanity back in where we're not only deeply flawed, but we're inconsistently flawed in that different people have different needs and different desires and different levels of neurosis, mm -hmm. all sorts of factors that at play here. And, and maybe that just means the people who are hopeful about something similar to a, a bee colony happening in our own society, maybe those people are less selfish than we are. And they're projecting their level of selfishness onto that. And maybe they truly are noble. Maybe they're not just smug. Or maybe they are more selfish. And they think, oh, everybody's as selfish as me. So if the government doesn't force us to do these things, we won't. Nobody will. An equally valid take. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, adding the humanity back in, we can't look at what's on paper. We can't look on what mm -hmm. bees do. We can't look at what computers do. I think we have to look practically at how these things actually play out. And fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we've had at least a good century or so of mm -hmm. the state mm -hmm. subsidizing or at the very least influencing unions. And we've seen what that leads to. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Do you care to enlighten our listeners on what that means? Oh, um, for those of you who haven't been to Pittsburgh, you'll know it. It's uh, It was like the home of steel, U.S. steel. Um, and the city grew, and it was huge. It was, it was like uh, basically like De 
Detroit, if any of y'all have been to Detroit. <laughs> it's kind of the same deal. Pittsburgh was uh, was kind of went the same path as Detroit. Um, when the steel industry died here in the U.S., um, the city went to shit. And, uh, excuse my language, but um, to the point that if you... <laughs> I've been going to Pittsburgh since I, I think my first memory of going there was four years old and they have been doing road construction the entire time that I've been alive. So that's 38 years. It's because there's no other work there. So the government is subsidizing people. So people who don't live in the city are paying for these constant road construction so people who live in the city will have a job or whatever but it's the only industry going really there it's it's pretty it's a pretty poor rundown place there's just a bunch of dilapidated old steel mills and that's where my grandfather worked that uh i was talking about was so pro-union <laughs> He worked at the steel mills. Well, I, I think we see a lot of those examples in the U.S. I, I think some of the most like pro-union arguments tend to be in the trades. Yeah, you, see that, you know, people think about like union electricians, right? Yeah. You know, you and I have a friend yeah. who's a, a, an electrician in California who's just making insane wages. It sounded like you said sandwiches. <laughs> he can indeed afford many, many sandwiches. <laughs> I think that's a great name for a sandwich shop. In sandwiches. Insane. In sandwich. That has to exist already, right? Yeah. yeah. But anyway... We see folks looking at those cases as an example of ludicrous wages. Okay. And I would have to say no. But it, there's there are ludicrous wages being paid, but if, let's say, they're not being subsidized, the company itself... There's still that value there. It's just that maybe not the right people are getting it. So like like I was saying before, it's about how long you've been there or whatever, not how good you are, how how much you extra you do around the place or whatever. It's just how long you've been there. So the people that are actually creating the value may you know, that are creating more of the value don't have any way of being noticed financially for doing so because of the union. So uh, it discourages that kind of behavior. And that's typically why by the time you get out of the union, you're like, are you the people who are retiring? They're just all finding ways to not work or not do something it's because it's, it discourages that go get it mentality 
the unions, at least in the trades. And I have firsthand experience with this, so if you feel differently about it in the chat, go ahead and explain to me why I'm wrong. There, There's another perspective that is admittedly hard to prove, but it could be theorized that they would actually be making even more if it weren't for the unions. I would say it's a pretty good possibility since the cut that the union takes is a pretty substantial cut, typically. The reason I say that is because quite often when we see any role that we have here in the States that's not quite unionized mm -hmm. and we see the union equivalent elsewhere in the West, mm -hmm. those wages are paltry. As an example, if we look at like doctors in Germany, in the trade mm -hmm. unions there, I think a lot of folks would look at them and say, wow, these doctors are making so much money. The union just got them a hundred K salary. Mm -hmm. And that probably seems like quite a lot. If maybe your national average is 65, 70, maybe $80,000. And if you get a hundred K for being a doctor, that seems impressive. That seems high. Mm -hmm. But all you have to do is look to the U.S. where, while doctors have various different actual unions and boards and groups and things that they're a part of, they don't actually have like a trade union uh, in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. And most of them tend to make triple that. In fact, I, I know a few that have their own practice and who making the millions if they do it right at that point they're no mm. longer really a doctor they're actually more just a, a business owner so they're sort of there are other things at play and mm -hmm. you have to have skills beyond being a doctor but point being let's if if you just go just to uh the regular sort of just wage versus wage we see those as high if you're just looking at the average German citizen, but if you see that it hasn't kept up with inflation and that all you have to do is cross an ocean to make triple that amount, all of a sudden that doesn't seem so high. All aboard the Titanic, motherfucker. Worked out for them. <laughs> I see it here. The trade that I'm in, the cranes, the union for the tower cranes, in uh, uh, the southeast is uh, not got the same type of government assistance so they don't have the, uh, the market on lock so what you see is a couple of what you would consider super good benefits that are hard to get outside of the union and then a lot less money if you're in the union. So if I were in the union, I would be paid 36, I think, dollars an hour or 34. I think 
I think it's 36. Anyway, whereas non-union, the going rate for a non-union crane operator is about 55 an hour now. And then half the time you can negotiate in per diem and for your vacation time to start right away and all that. You just got to ask. I mean, I always negotiate my price. I'm going to work for a new guy. I don't, I don't say like, uh, I don't know. What, what do you, what do you pay? I, I mean, I did that when I was a kid. Didn't know any better. But now I'm like, oh, what, what do, most people I talk to are getting paid, let's say 50 an hour. Well, can I get 60 and per diem? But you live in town. All right, 60 and $400 per diem. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, the unions, that's what they're supposed to do is negotiate, but they don't negotiate. They don't negotiate for you. They've already negotiated whatever they're going to, the job. So they're not, they're not helping you. There's nothing about it that's geared towards you. When you pay them dues, you're not special. You're part of the collective. You're part of the Borg. The Borg that for some reason they get to steer until, you know, where its power goes. Star Trek reference. You don't get those every day. So I think in this particular instance, that's a totally valid existence for them to have because I think some people have stress and anxiety about having that conversation and will gladly take the with the low ball number no they're just taking the all-inclusive resort because kind of the point you you make is that because the the state hasn't come in to subsidize it the union may not actually be the best fiscal choice but it's one that's valid to exist it's one that might actually be a good option for someone if that's what they want because they don't want to have all this mm-hmm. negotiation they don't want to have to choose Who they are anything for. they don't want to yeah. have to figure out health care they don't they just want everything sorted out for them and maybe that's worth that cost for them so it 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 seems like kind of where we're landing which by no surprise is that the idea of collective bargaining or packages or the all-inclusive resort is not bad on its own. Yeah, it's just got to have the the caveat, the, the voluntary. It just all has to be voluntary. But that's kind of the, the point of unions, at least from the people who are Dungyaho Union that I've talked to is that you know, we we use tactics to force people to bend our will, right? Whether it be violence, 
uh, harassment, just flat out scaring the shit out of people, you know what I mean? Sicking traffic cops on them, or meter maids to give them a ticket every day where they park. Uh, these are all things that the unions do to people. Also, f funny side note, it seems the more and more I watch that behind Scientology or whatever, they seems to be the same tactics they use. They use a lot of the same harassment techniques as unions. I wonder if any connection there. Are they just a union for heaven? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know if they're a heaven type thing. Are they just going out on a cruise boat with the 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 guy Orwell or whatever? <laughs> I can't. There's some weird something belief, something about a boat. I just don't pay attention to people when they talk about stuff like that enough. Uh, I'm, I'm more interested in the psychology that they use to like trap people as opposed to like the myth or the the spiritual side of Scientology. I do like the fact that they use like the 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 game the from the arcade where you hold it and then like fezzes he'll have the light bulb it'll light up and it's supposed to be electrocuting you but it's vibrating really hard see how long you can hold it they use that to, to think to tell if people are telling the truth or not they have some stupid thing just dumb electronic vibrating device or something it's called <laughs> auditing and there's like a meter that the person has to be able to read or whatever, but it's very arbitrary. It's just even more them. arbitrary than a lie detector test. I feel like it should be one of those machines for real because they, they want the money. Like you got to pay all this money for the books and whatnot. I feel like there should be like a, it's, you know, you put your coin in the slot and then you hold the, hold the thing. You should at least get tickets afterward. <laughs> right. <laughs> you held it long enough. Uh, a little side note about that. Uh, you know, I lived near Clearwater. And I mean, I know, I knew that Clearwater was like the down, the older downtown section was over here. And then like everything else was over on the other side. But I never knew why. I didn't know it was because of them. Nobody wants to be near them. So everything, all the businesses left that side of Clearwater. They're the smelly kids. So if the majority of mainstream America can recognize the insanity of Scientology, then why can't they understand the insanity of Somebody throwing a brick at me because I'm putting on up a sign after 4 p.m. when I should be off work. Out of the idea, if you work overtime, too much overtime, you're stealing somebody's job. That would be the way they justify that. Throwing a brick at somebody who's just working 
have enough money to make a car payment. Yeah, if they're using the same tactics, what does that mean? Either Scientology is really good, like unions, or unions are really bad, like Scientology. It's a trap, and there's no comfort.